Well, with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, there is an influx of children and there's going to be even more of an influx of children coming into foster care, needing needing to be adopted. Uh, Perhaps you've heard about the safe haven law that went into effect with uh, the safe haven boxes. Well, today uh, we're having the impetus of the safe haven bill, um, Kids to Love. That ministry uh, and the executive director of that ministry, Lee Marshall, is coming in to talk about the services that Kids to Love brings to Alabama, including foster care, adoption, workforce development and training, preparing people uh, that were vulnerable at one point uh, and maybe have been headed towards the justice system. They're now launching them out to be uh, contributing members of society uh, who are now flourishing. We have an incredible culture here in the state of Alabama, but our politics and public policy don't reflect the people of Alabama. Media drives culture. Culture is what drives politics and public policy. Welcome, everyone, to 1819 News, the podcast. I'm Brian Dawson, CEO of 1819 News and host of this here podcast, where we're pursuing a free and flourishing Alabama every single week. This week, we've got a great episode. We're bringing on Lee Marshall from a ministry called Kids to Love. They do amazing work um, serving people um, who, who really need it the most. When we talk about uh, in the Bible, it goes into widows and orphans. This is true religion. So anytime uh, you have people who are on the front lines of, of helping uh, vulnerable children. Uh, that's pretty incredible. So we're going to bring Lee on. We're going to hear her story. We're going to hear the story of her ministry. And then she's going to talk about some of the success stories uh, of the work that they've done. But before we jump into that, I want to tell you guys uh, to please join the fight. Uh, consider supporting us. Memberships start as little as $5 a month. You go to the website, 1819news.com. Click the button. Uh, You can become a member at several different levels. We encourage you to do that, ask you to do that. Uh, It's become evident with uh, all of the crazy nonsense that's going on in our libraries that we've been able to expose, in our schools that we've been able to expose, uh, the corruption with our politicians that we've been able to expose, and on and on and on. It's obvious that Alabama needs 1819 News, and 1819 News needs you. So please uh, go to the website now and sign up, and and with that, you'll get access to overtime behind-the-scenes content. Uh, as well as cool merch, depending on what level you sign up. So please do that today. Well, enough of all that. We will welcome in Lee Marshall. Lee, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you for the opportunity to share what we get to do every day and change lives. Yeah. Um, I um, am very good friends with John Croyle, Big Oak Ranch, uh, and the work they do. Um, we've had um, the folks from the uh, the Well House come in and talk about the work they're doing in trafficking and and all this. So one of the big things at 1819 News, we like uh, our mission statement is that we inform, we investigate, we celebrate. We inform the people of Alabama about what's going on, why it matters. We investigate corruption. Alabama is one of the most politically corrupt states in the nation, so it's a target-rich environment. But also we like to celebrate. So it's not all the negative of the informing and investigating. We want to celebrate the things about the state that are good, true, and beautiful. We want to highlight people that are doing good things because there's a, a certain portion of the media that leans a certain way and they don't like to highlight the beautiful things about their state. They only want to show the bad things. And so we want to um, find people that are doing good work in the state and, and highlight them and give them a platform to to tell um, about the work they're doing. So wanted to bring you on to do that. I appreciate the opportunity. And John Kroll has been an amazing mentor to me in this journey. Um, I've spent several different um multi-hour visits with him. And so uh, I just, there are so many doing good work in this state, and I just appreciate that you do celebrate that yeah. coming from a um, 
media and understanding um, the, you know, the old uh, adage, if it bleeds, it leads. And so I love that you guys are talking about the positive because we really get to change lives every day and our kids don't always get to be celebrated. Yeah. Amen. And we believe, you know, um, with the things that are happening in our country and I'm not hyper political, you don't have a political ministry, but the, the, the best defense against a lot of the things that are happening is, is an informed citizenry and a proud citizenry. And when you have people who have the information, they know what's going on in the foster care system per se. Um, and they're also proud of the state they live in. Um, they're going to take responsibility and they're going to get involved. And so that's really what we want to encourage. So i um, excited to have you on and we love storytelling at 1819. Um, and really everyone who comes on um, from Gene Stallings to John Croyle and John Hanna and those guys to Will Ainsworth and Steve Marshall and those guys and Whoever comes on, my first question on their first appearance is, I, I just want to hear your story. So talk about where you were born, where you were grew up. How in the world did you get into foster care ministry? So I was actually uh, born at the Tennessee Baptist Children's Home in Memphis. My birth mom was 16 when she chose to give me life and to place me for adoption. Mm. Uh, I was placed with my family at six weeks old, and they adopted me when I was two. And so growing up, I always knew that I was adopted. It was something that I felt made me different and special. Um, I grew up in a faith-filled family, so I definitely knew that God had His hand on my life and a plan for my life long before I took the first breath outside of my birth mom's womb. And so growing up uh, in rural West Tennessee, there wasn't a whole lot of opportunities. Uh, I was the first one in my family to go to college to start breaking that generational cycle of education, which is uh, really a passion of mine that we'll talk about later. Uh, But I just felt like that... um, God called me to to do something and to be a voice. And so my bachelor's degree is in journalism and communications from Murray State in Western Kentucky. Go Racers. And um, I uh, had uh, an amazing career that God blessed me with for more than 20 years as a a television news anchor and journalist started in radio. So uh, this is kind of coming home feel right here. But in 2015, um, we started our foundation in 2004 uh, while I was in the news. So I I did that simultaneously um, as I was working in media and also a mom and doing all the things. We launched our foundation in 2004. And in 2015, we really had the opportunity to step away from... um, what we were doing in the news, and I really felt like God gave me a caveat, and He said, you can't serve two masters. And so He had given me so much vision of how we wanted to grow what we were doing with Kids to Love to serve bigger, deeper, better, Um, and I needed to walk away from a career that I loved to do something that I was called to do. Mm. And there's a, there's a lot of days that it'd be a lot easier to go back and sit down and do a six o'clock newscast and read scripts and go home in 30 minutes and not yeah. have to take all this with you. But that's not what God wanted me to do. And so uh, Kids to Love established in 2004. We've had a direct impact on the lives of more than 300,000 kids living in foster care. Wow. We've created what we feel is um, an ecosystem that no matter where a child enters the foster care system, we have a program and a support system to meet them where they are to really guide them from infancy to independence. And so uh, we are, we've been grassroots to global. Uh, We accept no state or federal funding. We run debt free, uh, which makes us a big unicorn and also honestly a pretty big target in the world that we're in as we take on the battle and advocate for kids in care. Interesting. 
Um, and just hearing you talk, I assume it's a faith-based ministry. It is by faith that I am based. Okay. Yes, Kids to Love as a charter is not faith-based. Yeah. I've, I've felt like that we're supposed to uh, let others see Jesus through us yeah. and not limit how we can serve. So our organization isn't, but faith is absolutely what I'm based as. Yeah, and I mean, that's the same with us. We're not a Christian news outlet. And typically what happens if you're a Christian news outlet is you're only talking to Christians, and that's mm-hmm. not our goal at all. We want to we create news for for the entire state Absolutely. of Alabama, but there's no way they don't know we're Christians, yeah. right? And yeah. So I think that's really interesting. So um, I want to, I'm just morbid curiosity because it's something that that we see. Uh, so I have seven kids, um, love children, love child development, love, um, and, and I see something I focused on for the first year of this podcast was, you know, how do we, how do we reach the next generation? What can we do to fix it? You know, uh, fatherhood, manhood, um, families, right? That was a, just a huge uh, thrust of what we were doing. I know a lot of people who feel called to get involved um, in some type of adoption or foster care. And because of the way that the state behaves, um, and, 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 and again, I don't know, um, they avoid foster care like the plague and they pursue adoption or pursue some some other means because of the difficulty of foster care. So walk us through kind of what exactly it is that you guys do, how you navigate that, um, what, what are your services? Um, so we are a licensed child placing agency. Uh, and even though we don't accept funding through DHR, we must be licensed by them to gain access yeah. to kids in care. So through our child placing agency, we are able to do foster care statewide. And then we also are a private adoption agency, and that really came about. We got that, um, we added that credential in October after Roe v. Wade was overturned. And we feel like now that abortion is illegal in Alabama, there will be many women. There will still be some women that have the means to end their pregnancy. Chemically and so on, yeah. And But we feel like that there will be a large influx of more babies coming into Alabama, which as someone who is a, a victim of pro-life, I yeah. absolutely support that. We have to be ready to not just be pro-life, but we have to be pro-lifetime. Yeah. We have to come along like beside that. these moms and say, you know, we we can't just we can't just condemn them on Sunday without loving them on Monday. We yeah. have to come along and say, we're here to support you. And so uh, one of the things that our organization has been uh, instrumental in earlier this year is leading the change for the safe haven baby boxes. Okay. Uh, so we went to the legislature, went to Montgomery, got the bill passed, and uh, now we have two donors that have come forward. And so far we have 13 boxes that we will be putting strategically across the state of Alabama, hopefully going in by the end of this year, first of next year at the latest, to give women another chance and another choice if they're not ready to parent. But the other part that I think is critical about our adoption agency, because you hear people that have a heart and they want to help these kids, but they don't know where to start. We are absolutely the place to start at kidstolove.org. We will train you for free. There is no commitment other than once we get you in the fold, we're just going to love on you and serve you, mm-hmm. and you're not, you become part of our family. Yeah. But the other thing with a private adoption agency, most agencies, their fees are anywhere between thirty-five dollars to $65,000, which places adoption to be unaffordable. So as our team was putting together 
the structure of our adoption agency, I said, I want to know what it costs to adopt a child in the state of Alabama, because there are fees. You have to have a home it's study. Insane. That's, you know, and there are, there are legal requirements. You have to get a new birth certificate. There are all of these things. And those fees ended up right around $15,000. And I said, that's our fee. So our organization makes no fee, no kickback, nothing from a private adoption. We truly are the vessel to get families who want a child connected with these babies that need a family. Where It's not about the money. For us, it's truly about making a Placement. lifetime of change. Yeah. All right, let me go back. So safe haven boxes, What 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 is that? Um, I have no familiarity with it. Talk to me like I have no idea and tell me what that is. So Alabama was the first state to adopt the safe haven law several years ago. And okay. what that allows is a woman who is not ready to parent a child to currently or previously walk into a hospital and hand that child over to a nurse, healthcare professional, uh, if that child was 72 hours old and that mother can safely surrender that baby with no questions asked. And then once that child um, is surrendered at the hospital, the safe haven law goes into effect where the baby is checked out, DHR is called. Yeah. So what we have seen are other states that have added the box component. And the box is like an incubator is the yeah. best way to describe it. They are... Um, they are permanently installed the way that we have the law written in Alabama is it has to be a fire station that's manned 24 hours a day. So that box goes installed into the side of a firehouse. Um, if it's cold outside, the box is warm. If it's warm outside, the box is cold. It's hardwired into 911. So when a mother, now a mother has up to 45 days to decide whether or not she can parent. Because I think a lot of women try to do that, but they don't realize how hard it's going to be. You factor in postpartum, you factor in the support you need to be a successful mom and for that to be a successful home. And sometimes it takes a little more time than 48 hours. Yeah. So now they have 72 days to make that decision. Um, and when a, a birth mom walks up, opens that door, the alarm goes off on the inside. When the, they place the baby in, safely in the box, close that box. Again, that's temperature controlled, all of that. I, I yeah. want to make people, it's it's a safe yeah. box. No, no, no. Um, it's not an Amazon box, <laughs> yeah. I promise. We've had to, yeah. you know. Um, Clarify. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, bust that myth. And so we um, place that baby there. And then the minute that that box is activated, an alarm sounds on the inside. So firefighters know immediately that that box has been um, activated. It locks from the outside, so no one can come behind them and remove the, the baby. Um, and the average time, according to the National Safe Haven Organization, that a child stays in the box is about a minute, 40 seconds. Okay. And so then firefighters will go, they will remove the baby, take the baby to the hospital, and then the existing safe haven law goes into effect. What we're trying to do is just give women another option that aren't ready to parent to safely place that child um, in a way that we can keep that baby safe and healthy and place with a, with a family. Yeah, no. And I think that's incredible. And I, and you know, um, love what you said about pro-life, pro-lifetime. I've never heard it put that way. Um, with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, obviously we still need to combat, you know, the chemical abortions and things like that. But it's exactly what you said. Like, okay, all this thing we've all been praying for for 50 years finally happens. And we're like, uh, now what? Now what are we going to do what? about it? Right. Because there is going to be yes. an influx. Um, and, it, and, and let me add to that. So when you look at the influx, there are already 6,000 kids in foster care in Alabama. Yeah. So on average, Alabama has about 6,100 reported abortions. 
we know that some women will still be able to do that. So let's just say that number's 5,000. Yeah. So now we've got an additional 5,000 kids going into the already overcrowded foster care yeah. system of 6,000 kids. We only have 2,300 foster homes across the state. So now you're starting to see the bigger picture crisis yeah. of the child welfare system. We're also going to see this um, in maternity wards across the state. So our organization does a lot of advocacy and education. We've been meeting with hospital officials of, do you know that this is coming? Or is your team prepared for that? Um, can we be part of that conversation of training your team? Yeah. If you have someone come in that's just undecided, can we come in and talk to that birth mom and make sure the birth mom knows her rights? Uh, Alabama does not have a uh, a birth mom bill of rights. So a lot of times uh, birth mom's rights are just steamrolled over, and that should never be the case. That birth mom has rights. That child has rights. And so we want to do um, a better job of educating everyone so they understand what their rights are, but then also what options are available. And if she chooses to go home with the baby and then decides not to, well, then she's got 72 days to either call us and say, hey, I'm not ready to parent, and yeah. we can help connect her with the family, or we can say, hey, just safely put that child in that box and we'll make sure that it's taken care of. So, and you mentioned legislation to get that passed through. It was, you said two years ago that that happened? No, this year. This year. Yeah, so we started this past, yeah, this, this past session. Okay. Yes. And did you guys have something to do with that or? We, we, we did. We were the reason, we okay. were the catalyst that that's drove awesome. that. No, and, and that's the thing is, is becoming, you know, solution oriented um, and, and people come together and, and, it, and, it, and it's a weird thing. And maybe you can talk about the balance because, um, I mean, I know tons of people who would adopt if it wasn't either having the government invade my life or $35,000. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so here's your options. You can either pay some astronomical fee and then you can have the kid or I can foster care for just about free, but these people run my life. Right. And so I'm assuming, you know, the reason that there's barriers to some degree, I don't understand the financial barrier as much. Um, but you don't want to just be like, hey, come get some kids. You know, you guys mm -hmm. want some kids. There's, there's bad people out there that would love to come get kids, right? right? And so you have to have some type of a defense mechanism to keep that. So you have to do background checks and, and things of that nature. But um, uh, how, so you guys, it sounds like solve that problem through your adoption agency. Mm -hmm. And how long has the adoption agency been going? So we got that license in October. October. Once Roe v. Wade was overturned last summer, we got to work of writing our policy and going through the licensure process to be able to add that to our credentials of services. Um, and like what you're saying, the need is great for foster parents. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's there's bad apples in every bunch. Yeah. But I can tell you that the families that foster with us, their heart is in it for the right reasons. I just spoke with one of our foster moms last night, and she said, you know, we love fostering with you because with kids to love, they have a second line of defense. Yeah. So they we have a case manager that advocates and works with the family, and then that takes the pressure off a lot of times of that foster parent. It lets the foster parent be the parent, and it lets our case manager be the social services advocate, which needs to happen. And it, it just, and, and our team, I'm so proud of our team. All of our team come to us with at least 15 years of experience in child welfare. They mm. know the policy, they know the law, and they know, um, they all work with what's in the best interest of the child. And that is what I think so many times is missing, yeah. is it's more bureaucracy-faced and not child-focused and what's in the best interest of that child. And that's really what sets kids to love apart. Yeah. 
I think a lot of the people that are involved in that in the state level, they, they truly want what's best for the kids. But like you said, they're, they're slaves to bureaucracy. And then all of a sudden it turns into pragmatism and how can, you know, so anyway, um, what, let's talk about, um, unless there's anything else you want to add on the, just what you guys do. Um, I would love to hear stories about, um, successful placements, um, children that you've worked with. If you guys have been around since 2004, you know, success stories. I don't know what the best word, testimonials, yeah, whatever you want to yeah, call it. Yeah, um, yeah, testimonials. Yeah. Uh, praise Jesus. Yeah, uh, praise reports. Yeah, we, um, you know, as I mentioned, um, education is a big part. And uh, one of the common threads of every child that enters foster care is poverty. And so we know that the way that we get them out of poverty is through education. Yep. Um, and just this year, our organization hit 1,000 scholarships that we've awarded at $1,000 each, that is a million dollars that our organization has raised and put directly into funding scholarships. That's no fees with us. That's paid directly to the school or university of the student's choice. Um, and it's important to note that less than 50% of children in foster care will graduate high school. Yeah. Of that 50%, only 10% will go to college. And of the 10% that go, only 3% will graduate. And that's with a bachelor's associate or a bachelor's degree. Uh, we have a roster of rock stars, my kids, and uh, there's not a graduation that happens that I don't show up for. Yeah. We've got, uh, we have, um, our very first college graduate is now a nurse, and she's back serving in her school where her daughter attends. Again, we're breaking that cycle yeah. of poverty, but then we're also training up that next generation. Uh, we have got social workers with bachelor's degrees, uh, public relations, marketing with bachelor's degree, creative writing. And then we've had uh, one young man that got his bachelor's of social work from the University of North Alabama, got a master's of social work from the University of Alabama, and is now working in Nashville, again, serving the same demographic of children that yeah. he grew up. So what a better way to connect with that. And then uh, we actually have not one but two lawyers that we have been able to put through school. And I joke and say it's easier to educate them than to pay their fees. Yeah. So uh, we had one young lady Probably that... cheaper, too. Yeah. <laughs> Some days. Uh, she got a, a, an associate's degree as a paralegal. She graduated with a 4.0 from uh, University of Alabama in Huntsville. And then she got her Juris Doctorate at the George Washington School of Law in D.C. And um, she's an African-American young lady that early on she told me, she said, Miss Lee, if you'd have met me when I was little, you wouldn't have liked me. And I said, why? She said, well, I was labeled as trouble. She was a leader. Yeah. And she was mislabeled. And because of that, she was punished and so um, when she graduated, uh, of course, I was there in D.C., and I can get a little loud and passionate about yeah. this. And so I am screaming, That's, you know, yeah, when she got to awards and somebody said, who in the world is that? And Sacred said, that is my loud white Southern mama that flew up from <laughs> Alabama to be here for our graduation. And then uh, two years ago, we had a, another young lady, Layla Rose Hudson, uh, who who did her undergrad at UAB, and then she got her uh, Juris Doctorate as a lawyer at the Moritz School of Law at Ohio State. Wow. So what I tell our kids, you're not just breaking generational cycles in your family. Yeah. You are also breaking educational statistics nationwide because there, there aren't statistics for advanced degrees. And so... I love when our kids thrive in success. And so what we do is we really become a net. And I tell them, listen, you've worked and you've earned this right, but there's going to be a time where your grant's not going to hit when the rent's due. And if yeah. there's a time that you're, you are risk being hungry or homeless, I'm, I'm that phone call. 
and yeah. you call me and let me be that net for you. And so um, that really was the relationship that Sacred and I worked out. She was very proud. She didn't want to accept any help. Yeah. I said, but you've done this. You've earned your spot. She also took her younger sister in to keep her sister out of foster care and, mm. and all of that. And so, you know, moved to D.C. with a senior in high school as a sister. And I said, there's a lot that you got to navigate let me just help you. Yeah. And so um, that's what we do. We get to help navigate. Um, we've had girls that have come through Davidson Farms, which is our home for girls, that we serve girls in foster care 7 and 19 all across the state of Alabama that have uh, been the first ones in their family to graduate high school. And then uh, we have had four young ladies from Davidson Farms, a 17, 18, 19, and 20-year-old get adopted. And that rarely happens because people want babies. Yeah. But we um, educate the public on how amazing our kids are. Yeah. And I mean, yes, it's hard work to have a house. You've got seven kids. I mean, we do a house full of teenage girls. Yeah. I mean, it's there are challenges with that. But we have an amazing team that just wraps their arms around these girls. We know that it's coming from trauma. We have added a trauma-focused approach and therapy, and we are seeing great strides in their lives being changed by going in and focusing on that abuse, yeah. what happened, what led you here, how do we free you of that so you're no longer a prisoner of trauma, so then you can become a successful independent adult. Yeah. And so we're seeing a lot of that. We also have a an aging out solution of cottages, uh, what we call our cottage community. We have our first five cottages at Davidson Farms. So when our girls age out of the main house at 20, they can go to the cottages and stay 20 to 25, work, go to school. We mentor them. We teach them how to make a budget, how to grocery shop, you know, how it's expensive to eat your money. And, yeah. you know, where, where's my money? Well, you you ate your money on the way yeah. home, you know, and they don't understand that concept. Um, and then we also have a program called KTEC, which is a workforce training initiative. Uh, between 75 and 80 percent of members of the juvenile justice system or prison system are foster children. So when we look at holistically solving the problem of incarceration in Alabama, the solution is not spending more money and building more prisons. Yeah. It truly is early intervention. And so what we did was we saw the statistic of this pipeline, foster care to prison pipeline. Mm -hmm. And then we saw the need of workforce in our community with Alabama being so rich in manufacturing. And so Alabama's done a fantastic job recruiting all of these industries here to build yeah. these vehicles, but Those we don't have there. the workforce. Nobody can read. Nobody yeah. can do this. <laughs> so we developed our KTEC program and launched that in 2016. Today, we have had over 323 certifications that have been awarded. We view that as 323 lives that have been changed. Uh, there's one young man that um, for years I had the chance to uh, profile and tell the stories of these kids when they were younger trying to recruit to find them a home. I met this child when he was 12. I saw him again when he was uh, 14 and when he was 16. And so one day I'm walking by and I see him sitting in the classroom. And I said, you're Lederick. And he, you know, of course, I look like every social worker that had ever failed yeah. him. You know, I mean, I didn't stick out to him, but I don't forget any of these kids. Yeah. And so he goes, he said, I don't know you. And I said, okay. So I went to my phone and I found the pictures of when we had met. Yeah. And he said, that was you. And I said, yes. And so um, he successfully completed K-Tech. He struggled a little bit academically, but his secret sauce was his work ethic. Mm. And that's what we were able to help him find. You know, you you may not get A's on every test, 
but a bee is passing, but you are going to outwork everybody that's in your class. And he did. So he was at um, a local company there in North Alabama, Johnson Controls, for about two years and really honed his work ethic, um, was a great employee for them. And then Mazda Toyota had an opportunity, and he is now at Mazda Toyota making great money. He has a son of his own, so he's breaking that cycle. Uh, Mazda Toyota's hired, gosh, 12, 15 of our students uh, the it is not a problem finding them jobs once they finish it. And so it's a very out-of-the-box approach. It's a 16-week certification program. We are now a licensed private school under the Alabama Community College system. Yeah. And uh, so when our students come to us, it, we tell them it's like drinking from a fire hose for 16 yeah. weeks. But if you can give us 16 weeks, then we can change your life. Yeah. And so it's it's sad that that's an out-of-the-box approach. You said this is an out-of-the-box approach. It's like, well, that should be the most in-the-box approach right. out there, right? And so what should be out-of-the-box is what we're doing now that's so failing. And so <clears throat> I, I doubt you know my story, uh, and I don't try to go into it on every single episode, even though it seems like it comes up every single episode. But um, I, was, I, got, I was in prison when I got saved. I was facing 384 years in prison. It's a whole long story. I'll send you the podcast. But um, one of the things that I was able to watch and witness in there first, and it happened to me personally, and then I began to watch it from that day that I, that happened to me forward, as I look back and I look at the corrections, what's wrong with corrections. And there's two things that fix people. It's, it's, it's spiritual and it's work for men, vocational, uh, and then spiritual, right? I believe the only way you can really, really, really change, uh, is if it's God saves inside. you and gives you a new heart. Okay. Absolutely. So, but coming down from that, the primary way that you get men on track, men were meant to provide and protect and that's built into our dna and if you can teach a young man uh, a lot of these guys coming from foster care got no problem with the protecting part right mm -hmm. they're probably uh grew up rough and know how to fight but they don't feel like they can provide and when, when you as a man don't feel like you could provide for a family which literally is your entire self-worth system is can i provide for a wife can i provide for my children and you don't feel like you can and you're entering into a marketplace that pays you what you're worth and you don't feel like you're worth anything you find yourselves uh, find yourself doing things that are shameful, mm -hmm. um, whether it, that's you know doing drugs to avoid that pain, whether it's selling drugs to make money in a way that you know how, uh, or whatever. But if you can show a young man that he can use his hands and his brain, and he can actually provide for a family, his entire life will change. And one of the coolest things I've seen, I was in Colorado when all my stuff happened with prison. There's a group called Wayfield Electric and. Denver, Colorado. And um, there's a lot of um, illegal immigration stuff in Colorado. It's very, 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 very thick there. And then these guys wanted to not hire illegal immigrants. They were like the number one electrical contractor in the state, but they were about to get passed up by all these people that were hiring illegals. And they said, well, who, who are we going to hire? And um, one of the people, I guess, was like, I don't know, my, you know, my, my brother just got out of prison. I don't know exactly what the story was, but, you know, he, he actually is an incredible worker. Maybe this is an untapped resource. And so they go and find all these guys getting out of prison. They don't give them a job. They give them a career. And they so on Tuesdays and Thursdays, they would go to school at night to get their journeyman. Monday through Friday, they're, they're making $20 an hour just as a regular, you know, help aid, you know, on-site on um, help electrician. And over two years, they actually go get their journeyman, and they're making like $100,000 a year. And they, they have a mastery of a skill set and these guys all own homes now and they have families and they're raising their kids. Cycles are it broken. It breaks the cycle. It's vocation, spiritual and vocation. I've said it over and over and over again. And um, when I realized that I actually had a skill set 
Um, cause it's weird. I mean, you see what I do now and whatever, but there was a time not long ago when I didn't feel like I had any skills that I could bring to the world. Mm-hmm. My dad worked, uh, in, in inspection and manufacturing at Cessna. He would go and with, he had a key card, he would go into to work and I wouldn't like, I couldn't go back there with him cause it was like top secret or whatever. So I didn't get to see what he did. My other friend's dads, they were like HVAC and carpentry and I'd watch them doing, and I'm like, well, I don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I, I just didn't think that I had any skills to bring. And then when you, when you realize that you do, something happens as a man where it, it changes everything. So it, I think that's clicks. beautiful. Well, and I think the flip side of that too, when we look at, um, again, holistically pro- solving problems in the, in our state. And, and yeah. there are many to solve. And yeah. and I'm trying to pick and choose the battles. Um, yeah. But apparently I've jumped in the middle of several arenas to fight. But one of those, um, you know, like you said, so many times it comes out of desperation. Yeah. And so we ran the numbers of the number of kids that um, that we feel, there are about 1,500 kids in foster care age 14 up. So say 1,200 of those age out. And then they commit a crime. And I ask uh, a judge, a friend of mine, I said, what do? You, what is the normal crime that you see in your courtroom that my kids would commit? He said, armed robbery every time, because it's easy. Yeah. And I said, okay, what is that? And he said, that's a 20-year sentence. Okay, so now we've got a child with a 20-year sentence. And then I ask another friend of mine that's in the corrections facility, I said, how much does it cost you to house this guy a day? $44 a day. So if you take that equation... With the 1200 aging out at $44 a day, you're looking at $385 million that Alabama taxpayers are paying because we are doing nothing to yeah. be proactive except building more prisons. If we could reinvest that money to a generation that is untapped, and KTEC is a workforce training solution for anyone in our community. It's yeah. not just for kids aging out of foster care because – We've got one young man now that um, we've got to, we've developed successful partnerships with other nonprofits. And so the Downtown Rescue Mission in our town is a faith-based organization. They will take people with addiction. They will send them through their program. They will get them sober. They will show them the love of Christ. They will then partner with us and help with housing. And then we come along beside because I said, I'm not competing with you. So what if you do what you do well, we come along beside you, we do what we do well, which is training and skill sets and through KTEC, then that is a joint partnership of two nonprofits that are working together without wasting resources to change a life. And this young man spoke at a luncheon that we hosted two weeks ago, and he's, he's 36, I mean, was in gangs, did drugs. And he said, for the first time in my life, I have purpose. And I'm going to tell you, it is just by the hair of his chinny-chin-chin that he did not end up in prison. And so when I look at the lives that we get to change and I see the pathway that we've that we've developed, and it has been a, it's been a battle because we did not do it a traditional educational route. We wanted this to be standalone. Um, there were a lot of... Um, educational institutions at the beginning that said this will never work. So I love to mention, did I mention 323 lives that we've changed with a program that will never work? I I, I just love to mention no, yeah, that. Rub that yes. in as yes. much as you can. Yes. Well, but what I, I love like, is, I mean, just, you know, just yeah. going to like Daniel son, I'm going to wax that on and wax that off. 
But what then I see is like um, an, another one of our graduates, Chris, who uh, grew up in foster care in Texas and then was brought to foster care, um, family relocated, was pulled into the foster care system in Alabama. A fantastic foster family that we had worked with for years um, said, you know, this is the last stop. They adopted him. And he is now uh, a little over a year out of KTEC, thriving. Yeah. And 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 just what you said, he now has purpose, and he knows what he can do well. I think so many times we as a society label what is bad about a person without stopping and saying, but let's find out what's good. Like my friend Sacred that graduated law school, she had leadership. I, I told her, I said, you've got leadership abilities. You just don't know how to harness those and use those yeah. for good. And so it's just... Changing the narrative and changing the perspective, and and it's got to start with educating the community and and letting people know there is a different way, because the definition of insanity is doing what we've always done, yeah, and that's not working. Yeah, no, and I mean that is a huge focus of mine personally, and and what we're trying to do at eighteen nineteen is to expose kind of this monopoly in education and doing it this way, and why aren't we, you know. It's kind of it's crazy. We've been doing it. It's not working. Mm-hmm. Like the way that it's set up right now is the more money we give them, the worse they do. Mm-hmm. Which that like, if you're in, you know you don't need to be an economist to know that that's not not good incentives. And so okay, if this isn't working, what would work? Let's experiment. Not nothing way off the reservation. Like I don't know, maybe we should try vocational training at fourteen. Just a thought. Just just throwing it just out there, thought, right? Yeah. <laughs> so and especially because you see, you know, my dad grew up in the generation where he didn't go to college. And all of his friends that went to college made twice as much money as him. And it was only because they had the degrees. They didn't they, like there was a, a moment in time when your college degree actually you, you, you had to have it because every job I've ever applied for since I got out of prison, they're like, oh, I have a college degree and I just apply for it and I get the job anyway and do better than the people with the degrees. So there used to be a time when that you couldn't do that. They really had to have the degree. And so my dad really believed in that. And that whole generation, my generation, kind of the top end of the millennials was it was beat into our head that you had to have a college education. And so all these people that probably should have been plumbers and tradesmen and HVAC technicians and electricians that could be making six figures could be making tons of money and working with their hands, which God made them to do. Yes. Went and chased a basket weaving degree or some, you know, dumb degree that that they owe $200,000 for Mm -hmm. now. uh, And they're upside down in debt. And, 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 and we've, we've, we've pushed people towards a, a false kind of dream. And so, I love that. I mean, I could sit here and talk about this probably for the next three hours um, because that to me, that really is thinking outside the box, mm-hmm. doing things differently. And, and it's rooted in the way that God created us. It's rooted in creation um, with young men. Um, and, and again, it applies to young women as well. Mm-hmm. A, you know, a young woman who realizes, hey, you know, I can I can do things. I'm capable. I can provide, you know, in all of those things. It, it frees them as well. But um, my focus has been on <clears throat> how do we fix this generation of men so that we can get mm-hmm. some husbands and some fathers. Uh, you send them to KTEC. Yeah, that's it. Let's, <laughs> let's build a giant KTEC. That's right. Well, and you know, and I believe it. It goes back to the to the old proverb of you know, you give a man a fish, he eats for a day. You teach him to fish, and he eats for a lifetime. Yep. And that's really what we're trying to do. Uh, we had another young lady that came through KTEC, um, and she came from an extreme poverty situation, uh, but she was she, she was a tomboy, and she loved to rebuild engines. Yeah. And so she came to KTEC. She was quiet, and so uh, she was one of those that she wouldn't say anything, but when she did her projects, like it, everybody was speechless, yeah. but she was that good. And so she said, you know, Miss Lee, I want to work for Toyota. And I said, okay. I said, well, um, you know, we've got a 
fight to make that happen. There's not a lot of female maintenance leads there. Um, you know, you're trying to tap into a very male-dominated field. I'm not saying you don't have the ability, but I'm saying it's going to take more. It's going to take more than skills. You're going to have to have some chops to go yeah. in there and fight it. And so she's been there a little over a year and a half now. She is one of the first uh, maintenance team leads, female, at Toyota. Wow. She is on the path to make six figures, and they wanted to send her to school to get her engineering degree, and she said, I'm good. Yeah. Th- this is what I want to do. And they would pay for it, you know, yeah. but she's she is so um, – she loves what she does, and she's just one of those that – I mean, she's just a gentle giant. She's yeah. just very silent, but yeah. um, she – her work ethic is phenomenal, and she just needed an opportunity, yep. and that's what we were able to give her. Love it. Well, um, where can people find you? How can they? How can they help? How can they contact you? Yes. So, uh, kids to love k i d s t o l o v e dot org is our website. Uh, GoKTech.org, that's G-O-K-T-E-C-H dot org. We are very active on. Social media, Facebook, Instagram, the Twitter, as my mom likes to call it, the Twitter, uh, or or the X now, should we update that? So we're very active on social media, and if you Google Kids to Love, we usually pop right up. Um, We would love for people to follow along with us to see how we're serving. If you, uh, if, if there are any of your listeners that are interested in foster care and adoption, we would love to have that conversation and start that journey with them. Um, or if there's someone out there that wants to get some skills and change their life, we would love to bring them to Huntsville and take a tour. Uh, we've even um, fixed some of the problems with, because as we bring students in, it's not just the training. Um, the reason why a nonprofit works so well in this is because our kids are also hungry mm-hmm. and there's transportation. And there's clothes, yeah. and and it's all of the issues that a nonprofit knows how to do through the social services part of it. Yeah. So we've solved a lot of the problems when it comes to transportation and housing and food for our students, and it really is a case by case basis. So we don't, we're not just trying to be a cookie cutter. Yeah. Uh, we really get to know our kids, and then we've also uh, in the middle of COVID we brought in mental health, and so we have a team of therapists that also work with our kids because every one of our kids have we all have struggles. Yeah. It's just are we ready to admit it and are we ready to do something about it yeah no that's really good and so you guys are in huntsville we are huntsville madison we also have a 160 acres a campus in the shoals we have um 55 properties in the birmingham area that we are working on what the next step is Uh, we have social workers positioned uh also in birmingham wetumpka and in mobile so yeah so we are um we are strategically spread across the state to serve families across the state of alabama that are interested in foster care and adoption well lee marshall thank you thank you thanks for the opportunity to share what god gets us lets us do every day amen that's it celebrating yes all right guys there it is i know there's people watching this podcast that have wanted to adopt, that have wanted to get involved in the foster care system. And they're like, I don't got 35 grand. And I sure don't want the government digging through every part of my life and, and, and ruling over me with a stick or whatever the, the, the picture is here. It is guys, this is an opportunity. You guys need to reach out to them. If God has put it on your heart uh, to get involved in foster care, and maybe you're even experimenting with the idea, maybe, maybe you don't know for sure that it's a calling, but you feel God nudging you in that direction. Um, reach out to them, go take a tour. Um, and again, I, I know with God overturning Roe Ro versus Wade, he's going to be laying it on people's hearts that they need to get involved. They need to get active. 
Um, and if that's you and, and God's nudging you as you watch this, please reach out to them, uh, learn about their services, see what they can do for you. All right, guys. Well, that'll wrap it up. Uh, until next time, put your trust in God and keep your powder dry.